Although I knew something about sales at that point, I didn't know anything about marketing. So my first website was full of all this tech jargon. I can do PHP and JavaScript and CSS. And it was just like all this tech stuff. It was several years before I realized that's not what people care about. They care whether I can make them look good on the web. If I can't make myself look good on the web because I'm busy talking about tech, how can I help them? So that was sort of, that was a learning curve that came more slowly. Change careers, break into new industries, transition into new roles, reinvent yourself and make the dent you want. This is the Second Breaks podcast. And now here's your host and fellow Second Breaker, Lou Blazer. Hello, my friend. This is episode 28 of the Second Breaks podcast, and it is Tuesday, December 5th, 2017, as I record this episode. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I hope you like it and would want to return in the future. And if you're a returning listener, thank you so much. I so appreciate you. The topic for this week's episode is the slow and steady way of building a new career. Now, it's natural when we're thinking of branching out or doing something different that we want to know everything that we could possibly know or that we think we need to do so that we can plan ahead and prepare and feel confident about our move. But the reality is, as I often tell my clients, there's only so much we can prepare for ahead of time. Often, we won't know what we don't know until we already are knee-deep into something. And my guest today, Alison Taylor, is a great example of how one can build a new career with a slow and steady approach. For today's show notes, you can go to secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 28. You will also find links to other resources there, including the Pivot Essentials. This is a two-part GIF I have for you. It's a downloadable PDF that walks you through the foundation steps for planning your career move. Plus, uh, you'll also get a primer on what it takes to make a successful career move in today's world. Again, secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 28. One other piece of business before I introduce Allison, I am running a workshop on goal setting called Steer Your Career in January 2018. It's not open for registration yet, but you can sign up to get notified and take advantage of early bird pricing. So check it out, secondbreaks.com forward slash workshops. things I love hearing about in these interviews is the trigger story, the reason that somebody decided to make a pivot or a change, because I find this so interesting. Change is not easy, right? And most of us need to be pushed to rock our steady boat. Alison Taylor's story is one that I really loved listening to. Today, Allison owns a web design company called Digital Dandelion. But prior to that, she was a software developer. She was employed to write codes that control machines. It's the kind of work that required her to be next to where the machines are. She never planned to be an entrepreneur. In her own words, she was a worker bee. She wasn't interested in management. She was interested in technology. She thought she was going to be employed and she was going to be happy with that. But then... Uh, She and her husband decided to buy a weekend property in a remote location away from the big city of Vancouver, primarily to escape the crazy real estate prices in the big city. The original plan was to only spend the weekends and their vacation time in their away property and then back to Vancouver to work during the week. 
But soon, she and her husband fell in love with their weekend life, and they stopped wanting to go back to Vancouver on Monday mornings anymore. The problem is there is no demand for Allison's skill set in their new community. And so the desire to build a new career was born, one that she could do remotely or from home, and that would still be generally in her wheelhouse, so to speak. In this episode, Allison and I talk about how she built a new career from the ground up, slow and steady, one step at a time. Allison shared how she learned her new skills without going back to school, what helped her the most during the transition, and what she wishes she did differently, which interestingly is the same thing I would change if I had a do-over. So let me transition to my chat with Allison, and I'll catch up with you at the back end. Hello, Allison. Welcome to Second Breaks. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat. All right. So it is actually such a treat for me to be chatting with you this afternoon because a lot of my peeps have IT background and I myself have an IT background. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, so this is such a treat for me to be chatting with you. So maybe we could start there, Allison. So I know that at one point you had the traditional corporate IT role or career path. You were a software developer then, I believe, and yes. something happened and you decided to change direction. And so perhaps maybe we could start there with the trigger, the trigger question. What happened and uh, what, what made you decide to veer off, do something different? Okay. Well, in my case, I never planned to be an entrepreneur. I was just going to be, I'm a worker bee type. I'm not interested in management. I'm interested in computers. And that was what I expected to do for my life. And what happened was the Vancouver, Canada real estate market. <laughs> I was living in Vancouver um, with my husband, and literally, we could barely afford to buy a house. The property prices are crazy there. So a fixer-upper goes for a million dollars kind of thing. So, so we said, okay, well, we can't afford to buy in Vancouver. We're going to buy a home, like a vacation home that we can spend the weekends on at, and then we'll just keep renting in Vancouver. And so we bought a vacation home in a little community that you can reach from a 40-minute ferry ride. So, And then we started going there every weekend, which we loved. And we just stopped wanting to come back to Vancouver on Mondays. So we thought, oh, well, how can we, how can we live in this new community and move into our vacation home full time? And it's a community that's basically like forestry and fishing and tourism. There's, there's no high tech there. And I had been doing in Vancouver, I've been doing high tech that software that controls machinery. They call it real time control. Mm -hmm. And so what it means is you can't do it remotely because you need to be in the office next to the machine that you're controlling. You need to make sure that everything's working and to press buttons and reset things, you know, when things go astray. So I thought, well, why don't I get into doing websites? Because then you can work remotely, right? You and your client can be on the phone and and so that's what I started doing was, was doing web development, except that I had a lot of skills in software, but not in web development. So that, that was a big learning curve for me, making that transition. But it started out sort of gradually. Um, the first thing I did was, well, my husband got a job here first, mm -hmm. job in the trades. He had been in tech as well, but he really wanted to do the trades. So that was great. He came here a year before I did. And then I came part-time. I had four 
week here, and then I had seven days a week here. And then I had a smattering of these little part-time jobs, because that's how everyone works in this community. So I was teaching seniors how to use computers in the library, and I was serving coffee and making sandwiches at a cafe, and doing retail shifts. It was just, and in between, I was gradually learning how to build websites and that business. So yeah, it was not planned to be it was just the way things worked out there you go sometimes that's how it happens right yeah I think so for a lot of my friends actually exactly so when you when you started uh, doing web development work were you doing it immediately as a freelancer or were you employed by a company uh, by a company initially to do web design or web development work I did it what I think is the hard way which was as a freelancer <laughs> Because it meant I didn't have anybody to ask questions for, you know, in person, and I didn't have a stream of clients. So when I started, I had no experience being self-employed. Um, that was and- actually going to be one of my questions. Is I didn't know whether you had some experience of a freelancer earlier nope. or anything like that. <laughs> it was just jump in in the deep end, learn how to do websites, learn how to... I had, at one point in my tech career... I'd worked in a company where things went a bit sideways and a bunch of us quit in protest. And at that time, it was just before Christmas, and I got a job at an aromatherapy store. I thought, oh, it's Christmas. I'm just going to do something fun. And I just did it for a break. Actually, I learned how to sell there and in person. And that turned out to be really valuable. It was just one of those unexpected things. So when, so when I started out here in the web business... Um, the first thing I did was really just trying to learn the, enough technology to put my own website up. Mm-hmm. And my own website sucked, really. It was like, and although I knew something about sales at that point, I didn't know anything about marketing. So I had to sit down with someone and convince them that I could help them with the problem. But I did not know how to market myself. So my first website was full of all this tech jargon. I can do PHP and JavaScript and CSS. And it was just like... All this tech stuff. It was several years before I realized that's not what people care about. They care whether I can make them look good on the web. Right. If I can't make myself look good on the web because I'm busy talking about tech, how can I help them? So that was sort of, that was a learning curve that came more slowly. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning, I just started doing websites for friends for, you know, absolute pennies. And then I was involved in some different communities, and sometimes someone would put out a post and say, oh, we need someone to do a website. We've only got $500. So I would say, oh, I'll do your website. And then I even did some cold calling. I went to my favorite quilt store where I buy fabric, and I said, you know, I really wish you had a website, and I've made this proposal for you. And the woman had recognized me because she'd seen me, and she said, oh, you know, my husband's been promising to do that for years. I just want to go on it. And so that was it. Like, it clicked, and I did one of my first websites for them. So it was just, it was really just sort of by opportunity when things came up at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it took me, I'd say, a good two and a half, three years. Yeah, probably three years before I could just 
do websites and get rid of all those other little day jobs. It's funny when you were talking about how your um, your website was filled with a lot of the you know technical expertise, right. the technical jargon, and I was just thinking that if you were applying for a job, that would be exactly the kind of thing that you would put on the resume, right? Yes. Or if you were talking to your uh, potential boss in an interview, that's the kind of thing that you would be saying, but absolutely not the kind of thing that you should be talking about when you're talking to the person who wants to have a bed, uh, website built. Yes. I laugh. I did this one absolutely horrible proposal for the local library once. They had this job posting they needed someone to redo their website and being your tech nerd with no marketing experience, what I sent them was what we would have done when I was an employee, which was a requirement specification document. These are all the things I think you need, you know, and I can do them. And it was like so high. It was 20 pages long. Yeah, I never did that again. <laughs> I so can relate because, again, the IT background, when I was working in an IT uh, shop, that's exactly what, how we would do it, right? Or how we would propose a project. Yeah, it's a different world for sure. Exactly. That's very good. So, um, and so, uh, so you started small and you just, I guess you just started putting yourself out there and proposing even on smaller projects little by little until uh, you got a head start or you got yeah. known as a web developer. Yeah. And even now I've been doing this. I started in 2005. So I've been doing it for 12 years. Even now, virtually all my work is word of mouth. And it comes either that somebody who's worked in several organizations, they know me from one organization, they bring me into another, or um, at the bottom of the websites that I do, there's a little link to my website. Mm -hmm. I've had people say, oh, I saw the site you did for so-and-so and I like it. Can you make something for me? So that, in a sense, is sort of a word of mouth. And occasionally I'll go after a bid, like if there's a call, you know, a request for proposals. We usually only do that if I have a connection. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier, especially because I live in a small community where a lot of us have connections with each other. Yes. So do you tend to work with the uh, b- big companies who need to have their websites redesigned, or do you tend to work with uh, small to mid-sized businesses? That's been changing over the course. When I first started, a lot of it was solopreneurs and artists and writers. And so, and then it moved into, you know, some smaller businesses. But at one point I was brought into a project where there was an IT guy in Vancouver who specialized in nonprofits. And his job was to refer people, um, his companies, his clients, to people who could fill their needs. Mm -hmm. So whether they needed a fancy telephone system or a website or a backup system, he would help them by referring. And I became his go-to person to refer people to for websites and web software, which has been awesome. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. And what's happened is because he's working with nonprofits, now a lot of my work is with nonprofits. Ah. And they have very particular needs. So I've been learning about them. Because they all have multiple audiences. They'll have the people their nonprofits trying to help. They'll have the people they're trying to raise money from, individuals who donate. They'll have the media who want to know what they're doing. And then they'll have funders who need to know what they're doing. And um, so it's been by working more and more with nonprofits, now I have information that I, you know, I can go to, oh, yeah, I've totally solved that problem for so-and-so. We'll solve it for you, too. Exactly, exactly. And so you've gained also some bit of a a reputation or branding in that space, right? Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. 
I have been doing some software development, and that's been sort of word of mouth. Um, a family member introduced me to a company that prints signs, and that company, all of their ordering is done online, and they needed someone to maintain that, so I did that for them. And then I built a system for them that helps their staff track their production behind the scenes. So that's sort of this, this thing I do that's different than all my other clients. Yeah, but I love yeah. doing it because everything I do for them saves them money or brings in sales. So yes. there's such an immediate sense of return about your work. Anytime that you're working on the profit center side of the company, right? It's it's always a good thing. Um, yeah. Talking about you know when you started, of course you're you're although you are IT, web development requires a slightly different sort of setup. Oh, right. Yeah. So did you go back to school or how did you get up to speed with that side of the uh, skill set, technical skill set? Wow. So I guess that one thing I hadn't mentioned earlier is that I, I had done a degree in physics and computing and then years in programming. But then part time, I had been noodling away at a visual arts degree. So, so I finished the visual arts degree a few years after I started the web business. And it, it was all it was in painting and ceramics. So it wasn't, you know, it didn't teach me about websites per se, but it taught me a lot about color theory and design and that kind of thing. So I was able to apply that to the design side of things. But when it came to learning, really it was all online. Mm. And mostly books actually, and I'm a big book person because I spend all day on the computer, and my eyes start to glaze over. I'd rather curl up with a book and a cup of tea. And so it was that and experimenting. And what I love about that is you don't even need, if you have a text editor and an internet connection and a browser, you could start developing websites. And there's so much free information out there and there's some great books. So that's how I started. I didn't, I don't think I did any classes at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of looking back now, Allison, what do you think helped you the most during that transition from the corporate, you know, career path to a business owner or well first freelancer and then a full-time and a full-blown business owner wow i think the very first thing that helped was having a second source of money like seriously i needed the time to learn what i needed to learn about the tech and about business and so um i had savings i had been living super frugally you know by I started this business I was just about to turn 40 so I had a whole bunch of savings and then my husband has his had his job and I part-time so that was a big part of it I needed some breathing space to mm. learn um, the other thing that helped me was that I'd always been good at job interviews I was always really good at selling myself and connecting and I could walk into a meeting and right away I could feel like I was part of their team and start you know saying we could do this and we could do that and that's really helped in terms of making connections. Um, yeah, I think those are probably, those are the two biggies that, that were really helpful. The last thing that you said, I know, is a, is a stumbling block or a main uh, sort of problem area for a lot of people. Um, I talked to a lot of people who are in the IT space, like you said, and a lot of, a lot of them have this uh, mental block about looking for their own clients. Like, because, you know, when you work for a company, the projects fall on your lap. Sometimes you don't even like yep. the projects that fall on your lap. <laughs> yes. But you have a list of projects that you have to attend to and you never have to, you know, worry about selling. You know, even internally, you never have to worry about selling. Um, and so that's often a, a stumbling block. So the thing that you talked about, um, 
that you know that you are able to sell your, you know, your skill set, your ideas, what you can yeah. do for them is a good thing. Yeah, it's and, and I, I found out that I enjoy it, too, because I know some people hate that part of the work and I've discovered that I enjoy it. So that's a relief. Oh, that's great. So um, was that something that you've always known about yourself? So was there sort of like a, a thing that you learned about yourself that, oh, my goodness, I didn't even know that I was, you know, this kind of person. Was there a sort of like an aha moment for you as you transition? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I think learning about sales, that was definitely one. Yeah. When yeah. I when I started my little temporary job in um, working selling aromatherapy, I was so timid. I hid around the back and I tried to like wipe the shelves all the time. And so it took the person who was my manager to encourage me. But a couple of months later, I was sort of the go-to person. And I remember them coming to me and saying, look, we hear there's a secret shopper going to be testing out our service today. Could you make sure you're the person who serves them? So I thought, oh, good. I've learned how to do sales. Yes. So that, that was an aha. Um, the other thing that was an aha for me is when I was in tech working in companies, I was like the only person there who didn't have a home computer because I figured that I spent all my week on the computer. I don't want one at home. And I didn't realize at the time how much I was harming myself that people who had computers at home were experimenting, doing things, and gaining confidence, and I wasn't. Yeah. So I was working in tech. I was constantly going to other people for help. So once I started freelancing, I had to learn how to do things for myself. And actually, there was a time, there was a brief period where I was freelancing for companies before I started my business. This was back in Vancouver. Mm. And when my computer got toasted by a virus and the guy was working. I said, look, I got to take it into the shop. And he said to me, you know, you should try to fix this yourself. After this, you'll take it into the shop every time, but you've got to know on your own. And he was right. You know, it took me four days. The shop could have done it in four hours, but it gave me so much more confidence. So that was something that I've gotten about freelancing is that I've learned I can stand on my own two feet. I can figure out if I give myself enough time. Fantastic. Well, you kind of are doing a little bit of a re another sort of pivot, right? Or repositioning your business nowadays, right, Allison? So could you talk a little bit about that? Kind of what what are you doing now or kind of where are you taking your business? So I've been I've been basically working for other people now for 12 years. So they come to me, they say what their needs are, we come up with solution. And I've made a couple of software products. I've done you know, one with sign printing, one in the real estate business and one in the forestry business. So I've been making products for other people. And I thought, you know, I can single handedly make a product myself. I'd like to make something that is my product, not the client's product. And the challenge for me has been figuring out what to make. Mm. And um, I got stumped in this for a long time because I had this idea that what I make has to be absolutely new that the world has never seen it before. Right. And of course, these days, that's really hard to do. Everything under the sun has been done before. Exactly. So I thought I'd found this idea that no one had done before. As it turns out, some people had done it before, but I didn't know. So that was great. So I started. And what it was is I paint. Um, so my visual, I have a visual arts degree and I paint for fun. And to the best of my ability, I try to sell my paintings. And I've sold maybe 20 paintings in my whole life, but already I hate Excel. I'm like, oh, sometimes you got to sort it by price. Sometimes you got to sort it by in this. And I don't know how to implement equations, you know. And I could learn Excel, but when you already know another programming language, it's easy to do. Mm, that. Yes. 
So I thought, oh, I'm just going to make some code myself. And then I thought, oh, well, maybe there's other artists who would like something like this who hate Excel. So this year I finally really kicked it into gear and started working on it. And the software I'm making is called Artist Clerk. So it's like an office clerk for artists. And the idea is that you can go in and you can say, oh, you know, I can enter my information about the painting I just made or whatever your artwork is, you know, the size, take a picture of it, the information about it, put in the price you want to sell it for, put in where it's currently stored and where it's been shown. And my vision was that people would go in and each day it would ask them sort of, you know, what have you been up to today? And they're like, I was in the studio, I started a new painting or I finished a painting. And then it would have this page where you could just like, ask it to spit out information for you. So you could hit a button and say, well, how, how many dollars worth of work did I sell last year? Or who's my number one fan who buys the most work? You know, or who's the number one fan who buys the most work in terms of dollars instead of paintings? And so that's what I've been building for this past year. And because a lot of artists have sort of an antagonistic thing with computers, <laughs> yes, my I goal can is to make it like, so, and and I've, I've spent time interviewing people, mm -hmm. and they always say, Allison, it has to be super easy. That's the big E word. So that, that's what I've been working on. My, my goal is this November, I want to start bringing on my first small cohort of users. So like just 30 users who I can work with one-on-one. -on -one. So they get like this amazing hands-on sort of experience where I'm there available for them. And also, I can ask them, build relationships and ask them, well, what could be different here? What would you find frustrating? Yes. And then in 2018, my plan is to open it up to a wider audience. You know, I remember back when I was in IT and, you know, sometimes, you know, a user would say that we missed a, a spe specification or or right. maybe it looked pretty but that's not what they need or it makes their process more e even more difficult because you know of the way that we have coded the program or <laughs> the flow the flow right. of the of the pro process right but i think what's fantastic in your case is you are yourself an artist and so you know the pain that right. an artist, you know, you know the problem that um, they're trying to solve. That was that was one of the reasons I settled on that. I had other ideas, but I thought this one I know what it's like to be the user. But my challenge is to make it easy because I'm so technical that I have to. So that's that's why I've been bringing people in. I've been I've been working through this book called Running Lean, and it's. It's by this guy, Ash, I don't know how to say his last name, Maurya, something like that. Anyways, it's about sort of how to start a business where you don't burn through a ton of cash, but your early, early year or so in the business is all about learning. And so it's all about sort of interviewing people before you even start building your code. Then you build the code and then you interview them again and you just, you, you just, you're constantly connecting. So they call it customer development. So as opposed to you sort of just doing software. Yeah. And I, I was, I've been running through this book and he also recommends having accountability groups. And so I'm, I'm in an online coaching group and somebody posted earlier this year, oh, I want to form an accountability group. And I went, oh, I'm in. And so there's just three of us, but we meet every single Thursday by Skype. We're spread out across the continent. And each week we say, what are you going to commit to do next week? 
And then the next week we say, okay, I see that this is what you asked for, you know, what you said you're going to do. How did it go? And it's been a total godsend because otherwise I let my software development fall behind. It's important, but it doesn't feel urgent. And so I keep working in the money making. And having those meetings means every Wednesday I'm frantically running around trying to do all the things I would say I do so I can tell the ladies tomorrow <laughs> that I've done it. Exactly. I keep telling people that we cannot rely solely on uh, self-discipline and motivation and all that kinds of stuff. Sometimes we actually need to have that sort of accountability partner or group because otherwise, yeah, to your point, it's the one that's going to go uh, fall further down the list of, of things to do. Because every day I think, oh, well, today I have that deadline, I'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow I have another deadline. Whereas because it's every Thursday we meet, it's like, well, no, I can't just keep pushing it. That's really good for me. Hey, my friend, I just want to ask you a favor. My mission for Second Break's podcast is to highlight all the ways that we can make a career move in today's world so we can thrive in our work and reach our highest potential. And I need your help with this mission. You can do two small things. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. And if you have enjoyed the show and the podcast, I would so much appreciate it if you take a brief moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes. Simply go to secondbreaks.com forward slash review, and that link will take you directly to iTunes. By subscribing to the show and leaving me a review, you will help me tremendously uh, in reaching more career professionals who can benefit the most from this podcast. Thank you so much. A few more questions or two or three more questions. I'm looking at the time. I want to be respectful of your time, Allison. But um, so you've, you've, you've done this before yourself. And, and so I want to uh, take this, take advantage of, of asking you for advice, for recommendation to, you know, if you're talking to that one gal or guy who's got an IT background, maybe he's a Java developer or something like that. And he's thinking he wants to start a freelance, uh, even a project on the side, right? Mm -hmm. um, where should he or she start? How should he or she start? Wow, I think it depends a lot on whether you want to to be hired as a freelancer by a company where you just you pitch them your technical abilities and you do the job, or whether you want to be sort of a business owner. So I'm going to answer it from the business owner perspective because I think that's you know, with as the freelancer you can do pretty much what you would do at a job interview, um, but when you're trying to start a business. My experience is that there was a whole lot for me to learn around that. Mm. And the single thing that I wish I'd done way sooner was to connect with other business owners. Um, uh -huh. I went solo, wow, let me think, eight or nine years before I started connecting with other business owners. And it was just a fluke that I was on Facebook and someone shared a two-day weekend retreat with a local business coach that happened to be affordable and I jumped on it. And not only was the coach, you know, with the treat itself helpful, but right away I met a couple of other web developers and one of them right away was able to help me solve a problem. I was like, you know, I'm really stuck with this. What do you do with this? And she says, oh, I do blah, blah, blah. And I went home afterwards, promptly implemented what she told me and then landed $1,200 worth of work. Mm -hmm. like, I was just like, oh, so I think for me, that's, that's the thing 
that I found really helpful mm-hmm. because if, if you already know your technology, what you don't know yet is business. That's true. And, and I think, but even then, let's let's say, like I'm thinking there's so many different ways I could have got that. I happened to get it first from going to this retreat. Mm. But then through the woman that I met at the retreat, she introduced me to a free Facebook group it was just a bunch of web developers who connected with each other. They were all working alone and they wanted questions. And they would say, I'm having problems with this technical thing. Does anyone know how to do it? Or what do I do with this difficult client? Or, you know, oh, how should I restructure my business? So I've learned that, you know, it can be all the way from free, just connecting with a group. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some paid groups that are really affordable, like 15 or 20 bucks a month up to ones that are 100 a month. And at one point, I did one-on-one coaching with someone, which was, you know, several hundred a month. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no matter what, there's a way to connect with people where your budget is. And that's what I would say. Find your peers out there. I, I 110% agree. That's actually if I were, if I were to have a do-over myself, that is one mm-hmm. of the things that I would do because I underestimated that. Because, you know, you work in a corporate environment to some degree, the network comes with it, right? Because you go to the office, that's your network, right? And so, or your peers, right? And so, and then you start um, going on your own and it's different. And although you still have your old network, it's not the same because you're not, you're climbing a different kind of mountain than their mountain. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I'm still in touch with some of my tech friends. But when I talk about the business side of my work, you know, there is that sort of look in their face, like their, their eyes are scrunched up a bit because it's not familiar to them. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like, Perfect. I love that, Alison. So two more questions. One is, where can people find you online? So they could find me. Um, so my new software project for, product for artists, that's artistclerk.com. And if you look for Artist Clerk on Facebook, I'm there. That's the only social media I'm on right now. And my web development business is digitaldandelion.com. And it's also Digital Dandelion on Facebook. On Facebook. There you go. And I will put all the links uh, on the show notes for this episode. That would be great. And then my final question, Allison, what's it, you know, I know you mentioned a book earlier. I don't know if that would be a book that you might recommend, but what's what's a recent book that you've read, fiction or nonfiction, that you might recommend? Well, I would definitely recommend that book, Running Lean, like, Wow, I wish I had read that book ages ago. Um, now, if you want to sell services, it's not so ideal. But if you want to make a product, excellent book, really well written, tons of information, really actionable, as they say. Um, yeah, I haven't been reading much fiction lately. That seems to be, I have this huge stack of business books by my bed. <laughs> yeah, it can keep you pretty busy. The other thing, too, though, is if I read fiction, I just, at the end of every chapter, I want to read the next chapter. And next thing you know, I'm up till four in the morning. So business books don't get me quite that excited. (laughs) That is so true. All right. Perfect. Asin, this was such a treat. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, your story, your insights with me and the listeners today. Thank you, Lou. I really enjoyed talking with you. It's been a lot of fun. That's a wrap for today's episode, my friend. You can find the show notes plus links to other relevant resources at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 28. 
And hey, don't forget to sign up for the Four Pivot Essentials while you're there. If you have any comments or questions about today's topic, you can tweet me or you can send me an email, lou at secondbreaks.com. I would so much love to hear from you. We've also got a pretty good backlist of episodes now. You can download past episodes on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, or even better, subscribe to the podcast so you won't ever have to miss any of the future episodes. I will be back next week with a new guest to share her career story, to inspire you, to get your ideas flowing, and to motivate you to make, or at least to start thinking about what you can make happen in your career. Till then, keep on making your debt, my friend. Cool beans. This is the Second Breaks Podcast. 